because sometimes anxiety arises from a lack of knowledge or misconceptions about sex or even like lack of education of how your body parts work. And so people can create anxiety out of nothing because of like myths and misconceptions and misinformation out there. Um, And kind of like when we were talking about erectile dysfunction, like even that, right? I mean, one time you can't get it up, it means you have erectile dysfunction, it's diagnosed. I need Viagra now. You need Viagra, you got to go to urologist. Like people really can freak out about that and just the education on there is lacking. Hello, everybody. This is Sex Positivity Unfiltered, where we talk about sex and we are not polite about it. My name is Lindsay Murray. And I'm Denise Stratton. And for today's episode, we are talking about sexual anxiety, specifically five tips of how to lower sexual anxiety. As we get this episode started, I'll go ahead and give all of you listeners the five tips that I have before I kind of hand it over to Denise, because I just want you to know like what's in store for you and what I, as a sex therapist, would recommend. And so those five tips to reducing sexual anxiety, one is education, two is communicating with your partner, uh, three is expanding your solo sexuality, a.k.a. masturbation, and four is learning some mindfulness and relaxation techniques, and then five is gradual exposure. Um, and again, I'll get into all the details of that. And through all of that, I just always recommend practicing self-compassion. If you are having anxiety, just be really kind to yourself. Like, hmm. don't feel like this is you're broken and it's something you got to fix. If you want to overcome the anxiety, these tips can can get you there. But Denise, for you, I'm curious, like, what you're thinking about this topic or what you found out in looking this up. Yes, yes. Um, so just off of a Wikipedia search, as always, um, I define sexual anxiety as a, uh, also known as sexual performance anxiety. So they're the same thing. Um, but it's defined as a fear or a worry or anxiety related to sexual activity. And these feelings can be a result of negative experiences from the past, sexual dysfunction, stress, or a variety of other factors. Now, we're going to go into the causes, and I just got to tell you, Ms. Lindsay, that all these prompts and topics that you're making me research are, are, um, are causing me some, some, uh, some self-reflecting that I've been doing a lot. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's basically, guys, whenever you uh, type into WebMD, like your symptoms, like you have a headache and a tummy ache and, and maybe like you're, you're in some, some decongestion or something like that and it pops out that you have cancer. That's kind of what's happening with this research. Ah, pretty, so this pretty is very, like, reflective of self. Girl, <laughs> yes. Because to be a little honest, I've always found myself as being kind of confident when it comes to my ability to uh, satisfy sexually. Unfortunately, I never thought of myself as having sexual anxiety, but after doing this research, I have sexual anxiety. So (laughs) I'm interested to see what that means for you. (sighs) Okay. So for those of you out there who don't know, um, a lot of the causes for sexual anxiety can be um, a variety of different things. Uh, the main cause, though, uh, is that fear that you won't perform well or that your body parts mar- won't measure up. So um, before I get into this, I just want everyone to be aware that sex, just in general, is more than a physical response, right? Mm-hmm. It's more than just, like, friction of two body parts, you know, going in and out. Um, it's it's very much about what's going on in, in your head about where your mental space is. Um, so if you're stressed out or if you're in your feels of any type, your ses- sex life gets affected as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so when it comes to like 
the fear that you won't perform. A lot of times that can mean, and this can be across the board, male, female, non-binary, that you're not going to get aroused, or maybe you can't if you have a if you have a penis, maybe you can't get it erect. If you are the type that lubricates, maybe you can't get any type of lubrication mm-hmm. going. Um, and this can also go into like body image issues and this can be male female trans um gender queer doesn't matter it uh pretty much with you can feel like maybe your body parts are too small so like that could be too small of a penis too small of boobs too small of um your butt it could also be that things are too big so we could have to where maybe you're you're boobs are too big and you're you're afraid that your partner is not going to like them Mm -hmm. or for across the board male female non-binary maybe our stomach is too big maybe we're you know a little overweight could also be the other spectrum maybe we're too skinny maybe my bones are going to show so it's these body image issues that cause a lot of sexual anxiety and that's the part that related I related to a lot Mm, because I my performance has never God, that's going to make me sound very cocky. But my performance has never been something that I really, now that I'm a little bit more experienced, obviously when I was first starting out, my performance was a big issue. But now it's not something that I uh, I worry about because I've been with my partner for now eight years. So I kind of mm-hmm. know things. But my body, for sure, has caused some sexual anxiety, even to this day where I've you know gained a little weight from when my wife met me so obviously that causes me a little bit of um, anxiety going into any type of sexual endeavor Um, or even before my wife when I was dating and when I was looking pretty good too just the uh, the um, shower scene for some reason I don't know if it's a straight person thing but lesbians we like to take showers together (laughs) it's just a thing we just like to take either there can be no hanky panky going on in the shower we just still like to take showers together i'm not sure why so after um a sexual endeavor during the sex i didn't feel too much uh dysphoria you know you can do things like you can cover up with the covers you can turn the lights off you can get into different angles to where my stomach wasn't such a big issue but in the shower is me well, yeah, because unless, yeah, unless like the lights are off <laughs> yeah. in the bathroom, I mean, everything is, it's so exposed, right? Yep. No like, makeup, no. hair's down, no hat, no jewelry. I can't hide behind my, you know, my little accessories. No, it's it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was always, uh, I would always get really anxious or have some type of like insecurities going into a shower with a new partner. For sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so hard. It is It is really hard. It's like, I think a lot of people experience that at some point, you know? Like, I don't know. I know that feeling, right? Yeah. Being a little bit self-conscious about it. And then you're naked with someone. Especially if it's in the shower, it's like, well, it, it's all here. I mean, they're going to be able to see my entire body. And, oof, yeah. What are they going to think after this? And you know what's funny, guys, is I, I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Hitch. But I mean, that's his first point of like his rules is pretty much true. If you've if you're on a date, she already said yes. Like she's already obviously she's not unattracted to you. This goes for men, too. Obviously, they are not unattracted to you. They agreed. They're here. They're asking you. In my case, they're asking you to get into the shower. So you shouldn't have anything to fear. But still, those I never Mm -hmm. remember that whenever, um, you know, whenever the situation is presented in front of me. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. Okay. So back to <laughs> the other causes, guys. So um, other causes of sexual anxiety are basically relationship problems with your partner. So um, I, I know angry sex is a thing and I know makeup sex is a thing. But for a lot of people, me included, having angry sex or um, having sex with my partner when there are problems isn't something that happens for me. No, I'm mm-hmm. I'm usually pissed. So don't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. Yeah. Yeah. I think whenever people do have like, people can have the the makeup sex. It can be really like hot and fun and people can be really into that. But then I think what, what tends to happen is like, you know, if you've got two people who are okay with makeup sex, you have to, you have to make sure you're following up to resolve whatever issue it was that made you so upset with each other. Cause I think a lot of people aren't coming back around to that. It's like, we're upset with each other. We had sex. Now we're good, right? So sex very much becomes a almost like a band aid. Like if we're not having sex, something is really wrong. Um, so it's just something to be cautious of. People who enjoy that, make sure you're resolving <laughs> whatever underlying issues are there. But yep. yeah, for a lot of people, it's like I'm pissed off at you. Don't touch me. Like, sex is the furthest thing from my mind right now. Yes. If you are that person who can have angry sex without alcohol, because I can have angry sex with alcohol. It's totally fine. (laughs) But without alcohol, sober, if you can do that, please comment. Please tell me your secrets. How? How can you get in that headspace? I want to know, because it looks fun on the media, on the TV. It looks great. I could never do it. Uh, Just Mm. throw that out there. (laughs) Um, and then the other ones, uh, causes of sexual anxiety, um, which is interesting because it is a cycle is basically orgasm concerns. Um, so if, um, for a lot of times for women, our concerns or our orgasms are going to take too long to, uh, happen. Right. So it's just, it's happening too slowly. Um, and then for the males, usually it's, I'm going to come too fast. Right. Mm-hmm. So that can cause a lot of sexual anxiety, just worrying about that. And then um, one that I didn't expect, but it does make 100 percent sense um, is basically fear that you won't enjoy the experience can cause a lot of sexual anxiety, whether yeah. it be I'm assuming because there's um, uh, maybe there's physical pain. That yeah, is- totally. I think I think sexual function matters a lot mm. there. Um, just, you know. Like, if it is going to hurt, let's say someone does have vaginal pain during sex, and they typically have it all the time. Um, You start engaging in sex, that is going to be on your mind, right? Like, this is going to hurt. And so even if, like, mentally I want to have sex, it can be pretty easy to kind of close up because, like, but wait a second, I know it's going to be painful, and that's not going to be enjoyable. And, And it's not enjoyable, right? Like, my advice to anyone that has sexual pain is to pinpoint why that is right mm. and it can be multiple reasons but i i definitely don't ever advise just pushing through it because it's, oh, not, okay. it's not fun i don't advise that like if something mm-hmm. is painful stop it and you can still have sex another way maybe mm. right depending on what it is but i don't advise pushing through it because it's just gonna it's just gonna continue to make it worse you know like especially regarding anxiety okay the more you push through it the more you're going to kind of dread the next time that, that you go makes into sense it. Mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense okay okay i could see that and then on the opposite spectrum i also mm-hmm. saw that uh you could also have shame that you might enjoy the sexual experience mm. um and that surprised me but coming from someone in the queer community i could 
totally see that happening. Whereas, um, and I've had that actually happen to my partners in general to where maybe I'm her first, you know, sexual experience uh, as far as same-sex experience. Um, And yeah, it was great. It was really enjoyable. But now that she enjoyed that experience, well, now there's going to be a lot of um, self-reflecting and there's going to be a lot of things that she has to kind of like think about um, Mm -hmm. as far as like how it conflicts with her faith or what her family is going to see or what does this mean about her sexuality which by the way guys you don't ever have to figure out labels fast or anything like that this is your journey if Mm -hmm. if you're going through anything like that right now Um, but yeah it is it is something that you do have to kind of think about and you know learn to be okay with right so um, yeah it's you know it's it's like that conflict right like I enjoy it, but I shouldn't be enjoying it. Um, It's the same for trauma survivors, Mm. you know? Like, sex Mm -hmm. is very much associated with a traumatic event or maybe multiple traumatic events in their life. And so if they get to a place where, let's say they are having a healthy, consensual sexual relationship, if they enjoy it, it's hard. It can be hard to wrap your head around, like, should I be enjoying this? Because it's associated with a lot of harm for me, right? Mm. And so... That's kind of part of the healing process is learning who am I during sex? How do I want to feel? I could see that being a Mm -hmm. really, like, really hard to overcome because all of these experiences that you've had that were sexual experiences in the past have caused harm. So that's all you know is you're Mm -hmm. not supposed to like it. And now that Mm -hmm. you do like it, I could see some shame. I could see some shame being around that for sure. So pretty much like a like like a PTSD. Yeah, from absolutely. That experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it can be really really hard to overcome and to figure out like what are you comfortable with and what does that mean for you? Because I think it's definitely tied into our identity. You know, yeah. like if my identity, let's say like my main sexual experiences have been traumatic, my identity within sex, I'm I'm gonna feel like probably like I'm not worth a whole lot I'm only here to be used like it's easy it's easy to internalize it that way when you've been through trauma like I'm just being taken advantage of and so then if you enter like a healthy sexual space and you start to enjoy it those feelings of like well I'm just here to be used I'm a victim I'm not worthy of anything can pop up for you and it's like kind of a mind fuck to figure out like how do I rebrand who I am in that context if you if you want to right it's hard for a lot of people do you have people who have difficulty letting themselves enjoy sex yeah yeah Hmm. a lot of times yeah they have a hard time just letting themselves enjoy it because they're protecting you know yeah for whatever reason so that could be its own anxiety right there wow okay Mm. okay um all right and then the the next slides i have is basically um just your state of mind can have a big impact on your ability to get aroused. Even if you're with someone you find sexually appealing, worrying about whether you'll be able to please your partner can make it impossible for you to do just that. Um, and so we have some symptoms that happen for both male and female, um, even non-binary, because just across the board, no matter what gender you identify with, um, the biggest symptom is basically your inability to get aroused. Whether that means being erect or not being able to lubricate, um, that's the big one um, for 
people with scrotums, uh, basically the other symptoms are, you know, premature ejaculation or even losing your erection halfway through, which as a lesbian, again, ignorant lesbian over here, I didn't expect um, Mm. that that could happen. Um, But also, I also didn't expect that one third of men experience some form of sexual anxiety in their lifetime which is crazy. That's a huge number. Yeah, it's a huge number and I think pretty accurate, you know, because I think men do feel this pressure to be like this amazing lover, yes. right? They definitely feel that pressure and there's this very like Hollywood view of what being an amazing lover means. Yes. And if I don't live up to that, then I'm bad in bed and like even the concept of like good and bad in bed, like I just... I'm not really buying into it because it depends on who you're with, right? Like, oh, true. I sleep with one person today and they have certain preferences and things that really get them going. That's That may not work with, like, the person I sleep with next week or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, I think being a, I think being a good lover is just listening to your partner and knowing what you like and can I communicate that and can I ask them what they like and I just think it takes a lot of that to be quote-unquote good not this like magical um because I think when someone says like oh they're good in bed there's like this I don't know myth that they're just great in bed with everybody and I'm like how could that be like how could that be I'm not buying that yeah, no, even because, you know, everyone has a different sexual sti- style, right? Yeah. So um, my sexual style when I was dating and I was going through my slut phases, you know, it would work really well with some women and be fine. And then other women, they'd, they'd be too aggressive or mm-hmm. too um, too something, whatever it was. But, yeah, so that makes sense. I mean, it, it's pretty much it requires two people to rate the good, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then on the other spectrum, as far as, like, the women goes, a lot of the causes and the symptoms that I would see um, are basically that, you know, you're unable to get lubricated. You're, uh, you, it lowers your actual physical desire. I didn't expect that mm. part at all. As for women, we actually get – our libido gets affected mm-hmm. when it comes to sexual anxiety. Um, and then it wasn't diagnosed as often as men are, which makes sense in a way because it's not as visible – um, as far as like what happens as far as, you know, the, uh, unable to get erect, but at the same time, I didn't expect it to not be diagnosed as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. And also it's, I feel like it's just something that no one talks about. No. If you're having sexual issues, it's like the one, it's like money or religion or politics. You don't talk about it with anybody. Not even, it's something you don't even talk about with your partner. It's no. like an internal struggle. Oh, totally. I mean, you, you. I've had clients do this, but you'll see it in media, and I think people in real life do this too. Um, But, like, if you have a penis and you're having issues getting erect, a lot of people will hide. They'll get Viagra and hide it from their partner. Like, they'll take Viagra, and they will never tell their partner, never. They're like, nope, I just take it. I don't tell them. They don't even know I have the prescription. And then when I'm ready to go, that's when I'll initiate, and then my partner has no clue. You hear that all the time, which is – wild to me because i think they're i think they're like embarrassed that no they, it's that shame they it. for sure yeah and by the way i don't i think viagra is totally over prescribed like i think we handed out like candy and like i think it's even like government funded like there's a lot of it's there's a lot of money in like the viagra market i don't think nearly the amount of people who use it need it interesting i do not think so because i think all it takes is one time of like not being able to get an erection or to lose one, one time and men are like, I, I have erectile dysfunction, I need medication for help. And 
that's not really how I define erectile dysfunction. Like I call it more of a disappointment because you can be disappointed when it happens. Let's say you're 30 years old and you've never had an issue with erection and suddenly you do one day. I can understand being like a little worried. Like what was that about? Okay. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it doesn't really have to mean anything. You could have been tired that day. Mm. Um, maybe your stamina is lower. Like, I mean, you and your partner are having issues maybe, or maybe you entered into sex and your mind was on work yeah. and not really on having sex. And so your mind is elsewhere and your body's not really responding the way you want it to. And it could just be a disappointment, right? And if you, if you can just let that kind of be okay and the next time maybe you're in a better headspace, it's probably fine. That's what I typically see is it's never like, hey, for two years straight, I've never been able to get it up. Like, if it's that case, then you would want to go to a urologist and kind of figure out what is the, what's the cause behind that, right? Um, like, example being, you know, if someone was diabetic and they were having – they had, like, issues with their nerve endings or, like, if there's, like, a tissue that's torn that, they're, that they don't know about, those things can prevent the blood fr- flow and prevent them from getting an erection. But usually it's just a disappointment that they're having to deal with. And I've heard you say that in episodes before, and I do love that you phrase it that way. That's an erectile disappointment, not yeah. dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so basically what you're saying to our listeners um, who are looking at, like, symptoms and causes, if it's something that's happening on a consistent basis mm-hmm. and it's something where basically all the other factors um, – should be pointing to you. Should be erect. You know, you're you're aroused. Mm-hmm. Your your blood pressure is up. You you everything. All the tick. All the boxes are ticked, right? And it's just not happening. It's a consistent basis. Then it's cause for concern. Yeah. And a question I will usually ask, like when someone's like, I have erectile dysfunction. Um, the way I can usually tell that it's mostly a disappointment when it's like coupled sex. If you ask someone, well, do you masturbate? And they say yes, which most men do, which is fine, right? Pro-masturbation here. Um, And they say yes, and they're able to get an erection and jack off and come all on their own, whether it's looking at pictures or videos or just their imagination. If they're able to do that, I'm like, well, you're getting hard then, you know? Um, If if it happened once or twice, like, in your relationship, it could be a, a wide variety of reasons. Whenever you're by yourself, I mean... It's less anxiety-inducing, typically, for no, a lot of people. It's safe. It's just you. Yeah, yeah, it's just you. You do whatever you want. There's no issue there. So, yeah, that's kind of how I can usually tell. And I don't think people think about it that way. I just think, like, well, with my wife, I couldn't get it up that one time, so I have erectile dysfunction. And I'm like, but are you jacking off otherwise? Well, yeah. And I'm like, well, then, mm. right? Like, it's not really a dysfunction if it's still happening. Because, obviously, it's not biological. It, right. Biology is working. It's right. just something exactly. mental. It could be something. It could be, that could be its own anxiety in and of itself. So, yeah, if it's happening all the time, if even if someone's, like, trying to masturbate and, like, no matter what they do, they're not able to get erect, like, then I would go get it checked out. But most of the time it's a disappointment that you mm. can just let it roll off your back. Keep it moving. It's probably going to be fine the next time you have sex. Good. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah. No, let's go Let's go through some of these causes. I want to know when they should be concerned. All right. So same thing with um, if you're if you're premature ejaculating. So what? when would be a reason for me to, like, look into it more if it's happening 
Like, let's say it happened once and I came within, I don't know, a minute. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. This is my ignorance showing. I don't know what would be premature, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the average time that someone with the penis lasts is like three to five minutes. So it's shorter than a lot of people think. I mean, I think, you know, people can really freak out. Like, I can only last 10 minutes. There must be a problem. And 10 minutes is like. You're fine. I'm like, whoa, you're, you're doing great. Like, no need to worry. Okay. Premature ejaculation really is, and again, I don't have the specific number, so don't quote me on this, but it really is like 10, 20, 30 seconds. Like, okay. it's, it's a really short amount of time. Um, and, you know, if it's happening all the time, like, let's say no matter what, whether it's with a new partner, it's with an established partner, it's been this way for years, like, if you're worried about it, um, you know, it's it's hard for me to even say, like, what would be the cause of that. It could be, the example I'm going to use is, like, it could just be excitement, right? Like, I'm just excited. It feels really good. Maybe the tip of my penis is really sensitive, and it doesn't take much for me okay. to come, right? Again, maybe I'm a little bit radical in this approach, but, like, I kind of view everything through, like, a non-problematic lens where I'm like, that might not really be an issue, you know, a couple of things you can try, like people can try edging if they have premature ejection. Do you know what edging is? That's where you get close to coming and then you and stop. And then you stop. And then you like move on to something else. And so that can get hard to do. You have to like time it, right? But what you is can that, try that. So that helps what make you last longer? Yeah. Or? Okay. Mm-hmm. It can help you last longer. Because if you're like about to come and you stop and you can still have sex, you can do other stuff. But then eventually focuses back on the penis. Maybe it's intercourse. You keep going. You can stop again. Interesting. Right? You can, like, move okay. on. So, like, it can really make you last a long time. And so, you know, people do edging. But honestly, too, if you have premature ejaculation, I think, like, and I think this might be something I'm, t- I'm going to get into later, but people have this very linear view of sex. Like, Maybe there's foreplay, and then we have intercourse, and then once the guy comes, we're done. Done. Mission complete. Yeah. So I think uh, another thing, too, when men are really worried about premature ejaculation, it's like, well, sex only lasts 30 seconds, let's say. That, that's the example. But my question to Leo is like, why? Keep going. Like, so what if you came in 30 seconds? Keep going. Like, y'all can do other stuff, and, you know... Some men will get an erection, like they come and they keep doing their stuff and they'll get erect again and maybe they come again later, right? Like, you can, it doesn't have to be linear, is what I'm saying. So, expert tip right here, guys sex is more <laughs> than just intercourse. Mm-hmm. All right, there mm-hmm. we go. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, and then I guess for the females, if you, um, let's say there's times where you're noticing that you're, your lubrication is not as lubricating as it, you know, mm-hmm. always has been. When would be a time where she needs to go? Uh, when, when would be a cause of concern? A cause of concern for me would be if, um, like, one, if it's causing pain. Okay. okay. And I'm normalizing here. Um, if if you're not getting wet, like the arousal fluid isn't there. Um, I really wouldn't freak out about it because you can use lube right like you can just use lube roll with it um no issue there even if you have to use lube a majority of the time it doesn't really mean a whole lot because why it it really doesn't like why you're not getting wet i mean who knows right to me the cause of concern would be if like lack of arousal fluid is causing pain and if lubricant is not helping with that pain that's when i would be concerned and i would go i would go check it out because like 
pain and dryness are different, right? Like you can, like, let's say you're not getting wet and you try to have intercourse without using lubricant and like the friction is uncomfortable because of course, like it's dry. That's not really the same as someone who's experiencing like pain, right? Vaginal pain. And so usually like in that case where it's just dryness, you use lube, you're fine. But let's say you are dry and you, you use lube. And during intercourse, there's still a lot of pain. Like, no matter how much lube you use, it's painful. Mm. That's different. That is worth going and finding out, like, what's going on there. You would right? go to, like, your gyno yeah. and be like, tell her. Yeah, I would her. go to okay. a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, good. And then um, for the other, I guess, symptom that is basically the low libido. Is a low libido ever a cause for concern? Or is that something – or is that why people come to you? Like, what's – I – and again, this is me, like – nothing is ever a problem kind of thing. Um, No, I don't, I don't view low libido as a problem. Okay. And I think like I have a lot of clients that want to like increase that. Right. And that's fine if they want to, and I can go through that with them, but I always look at it through a lens of like, just so you know, there's really nothing inherently wrong here. Someone can have low libido and they're fine with that. And they go about their life and they're happy. Great. And then you have some people who are like, my libido is a lot lower than it used to be, and I don't like that. Mm. I wish it was higher. You know, what can I do about it? I can go through that with them. So cause for concern, it just depends on the person. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. And then before I guess before we really get into the tips, because I know Lindsay has some really good tips for you guys, um, just – from what I was from, like, the analytical perspective of, like, I saw so, a nice, beautiful flow chart, and it really made sense for me because I'm numbers, and that's how my mind works. But basically, it is very much a cycle. So uh, you, in order for sexual sexual activity to be pleasurable and for, you know, you to overcome anxiety, you do have to be in the right mindset because um, when you're focused on whether you perform well, uh, when you're focused on whether or not you will perform well, you can't concentrate on what you're doing in the bedroom. Um, you're, obviously, your focus is somewhere mm-hmm. else. And um, let's say arousal does happen, even though you're focused on something else, you can still be anxious or distracted because you want to perform well or because an orgasm could be difficult to achieve. And because that happens, it could cause, again, another cycle to where now I'm getting so anxious that I can't perform, which leads to more sexual anxiety. So it is a sick cycle that happens if you do experience sexual anxiety and you're not able to um, overcome it. So, yeah. So I'm really, really excited to see these tips that you have to kind of help our viewers out. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say cycle because the like precursor to the tips that I have is like identifying what is your sexual anxiety cycle and and Mm. I don't have a specific cycle that I'm really going off of because it's it's individualized right but what I mean is like pinpointing where the anxiety comes from does it come from initiating sex like maybe you want to have sex but you feel really nervous to initiate and that feels uncomfortable to you like is that where it starts, right? Or is the is the anxiety from, right, like performance or I'm anticipating that there will be pain during it. Um, is there anxiety of my partner is going to get upset if I don't want to have sex? Like when I when the initiation is, comes to me, am I too nervous to say no? Like, is it in the is it in the middle of sex? Like whatever it is, it's just it's just for yourself, kind of knowing. Where does the anxiety start for me and what is the root of that is going to help you kind of figure out, like, what do I do to, to overcome it? 
now that now that I've kind of like you talking about the cycle and me kind of like this is the this is the first step to, to these tips, right? Um, is like identifying where your anxiety comes from. The first number the first tip that I have is around education because sometimes anxiety arises from a lack of knowledge or misconceptions about sex or even like lack of education of how your body parts work. And so people can create anxiety out of nothing because of like myths and misconceptions and misinformation out there. Um, And kind of like when we were talking about erectile dysfunction, like even that, right? I mean, one time you can't get it up. It means you have erectile dysfunction. It's diagnosed. I need Viagra now. You need Viagra. You got to go to urologist. Like people really can freak out about that. And just the education on there is lacking. Like another example I have or that I wish like people knew or were more educated on is that sex is imperfect. Okay. Mm. It doesn't need to be this like perfect A to Z, amazing, mind blowing experience every time and everything worked and we all had orgasms and all the things, right? When that is the expectation, everything else means that we failed. Like that is going to create a lot of anxiety and I'll teach clients that sex is not a pass-fail test, but clients do use it as that, right? Like, oh, yeah. I didn't, have an ere- <laughs> I didn't have an erection last time. I'm going to have one this time. You're going to come this time. And if those things don't happen, then, then we messed up and something went wrong, and that was a horrible experience. And I kind of want people to zoom out and be like, but was it really a horrible experience, or could you still have had fun? Like, did parts of it still feel good? So – like, that's a big one. Um, and, and another thing, too, is, like, this focus on orgasm. Like, orgasm is the ultimate success, especially getting the woman to have an orgasm. It's like, if I can't make her come, then, then you know, something went wrong and I'm not good. And, I'm not, and I always, like, take the focus. Cause it's Anytime sex is goal-oriented, automatic anxiety. Because if okay. we don't meet that goal, yep. then we failed – I mean, it's almost like, speaking of, like, goal-oriented, like, I think if you're, like, a professional football player, there's going to be some anxiety going into a game because the purpose is to win. Yeah, of course. Okay. That's not how – sex is not supposed to be like that, okay? It's not that's supposed not to be – That's not how we're taught. Yeah, it's not how we're taught. It's like, this is how it has to go, and this is yeah. what's happening. It's like, sex literally can be playful and fun with no goal, no expected outcome, and your, your anxiety is going to lower – if you take all that pressure off, right? It so. never looks like that, though. Mm-hmm. Even even in the movies, you see, um, usually you'll see, like, the guy. You'll see the guy who's outside of the bedroom or whatever, and, and he's sweating it out. Or, or actually, this is a scene that you see most of the time in the movie. You'll see the couple. They get to the bedroom. Everything's okay. You have that awkward thing where, like, you know, clothes have to be taken off, and she goes into the restroom, right, to freshen up or whatever yeah. it is. Um, and he's on the bed, and he's, like, switching his positions onto, yes. like, where he has to. You know, go so there is like that. You know, there's this mission that we have to get to, and we're gonna get to it in the best, most sexiest way possible, right? <laughs> so. Yes, I think of this scene from Nip Tuck. Did you ever watch that show, Nip Tuck? No, I didn't. It's such Nip Tuck. a weird fucking show. Okay. I didn't. I never did finish it. Weird show, but like the it's like these two plastic surgeons, and one of them, um. I think had sex with the other one's wife at some point, oh, okay. and he was like, descri- "I'm like gonna laugh describing this," but he like the husband like found out like you had sex with my wife, and then he like wanted to know the details of sex, and he was like, "I think he asked, did you both come?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, we came at the same time," and I'm like, 
when does that happen in real life? I mean, no. It, it could happen maybe, <laughs> but like the way it was portrayed it was like, we both came at the same time. It was magical. And like, I think people have that expectation in their head of like, yeah. that's like the peak. That's what we should be aiming for. And I don't think our bodies really work that way. Like, how can you time it perfectly to where you both come at the same time? As a lesbian, I've always wondered that. Actually, like, is there like this magical? Because that's what you see in the movies. You see, you see basically two the heavy makeout happening. Guy picks up woman, takes him to the restroom, or restroom, takes him to the bedroom. Then you have that sex scene. Usually, guy on top of woman, and they're um, they're facing each other. Right? There's a lot of huffing and puffing. And then at the end, you see basically things get a little faster, and then there's just this climax of they're both. You know, they're both pretty much tired out. Guy rolls over, done. Everyone's tired. Sweats happened and yeah. everything. And, and they both came at the same time. You know, this big volcano eruption basically oh, happened. Yeah. Right? And I just, it just doesn't happen that way. I mean, okay, it's, it's like good an to know. It's an impossible standard. <laughs> Get that out of your mind. That is totally TV Hollywood. Um, and people will just automatically be disappointed if that doesn't happen. And so sometimes... Sometimes it's not even like we're trying to fix some kind of sexual issue. It's about changing your mindset, honestly. Challenging belief systems, changing your perspective, and having a more positive lens on it that is probably fine. So from the heterosexual sex therapist, I'm curious, how would, what, what would you consider a good sexual, like a good sexual experience? Like what? What does that look like? They're just like having fun, laughing together. Like, Did, what is it? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's as simple as both people got to experience pleasure. Oh, okay. Wow, that is very simple. Very simple. Because okay. they get, it's simple and then it's not because they get to decide what pleasure is, right? Mm. Like, for example, let's say someone is defining sex as maybe the focus is on one partner over the other. Like, husband makes wife come via like oral sex and that's all they do which is still sex by the way right like it's very simple it's still sex (laughs) they do that it could go twofold right let's say husband is like well that wasn't pleasurable to me because I was hoping for that to be reciprocal like I was hoping we would keep going after and we didn't and so maybe like that wasn't so great for me and so that like and if he's saying I'm glad she got to come, but it wasn't really pleasurable for me. I want to come too. That yeah. would be that would be like, hey, let's talk about that because that okay. obviously wasn't great. But let's say on the flip side, he's like, seeing my wife come because of something I did is like the most pleasurable thing in the world, and that's all I needed, and I felt so great afterwards, and then she felt great. They both experienced pleasure. Hey. That would be enough, right? So that's my very simple definition. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you – Young, 20, 19, 18-year-old virgins out there. It's very much... Don't put pressure on your first time. It doesn't look like it does in the movies, I promise you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so this last little piece around education that I wanted to talk about specifically that I wish a lot more people were educated on is um, have you, like, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but have do you know about, like, the different desire types? There's two different desire types. No. Okay. So there's spontaneous desire and then there's responsive desire. Desire meaning mental, okay? And I'm like clarifying that for our listeners. When I say desire, when someone says like libido, I think like mental desire. I mentally want to have sex. And then arousal is different. Arousal is like 
bodily arousal, physical arousal, different than desire. When we think about desire and like high libido, I think universally we think of spontaneous desire where I can just be sitting here and randomly sex is on my mind. I'm ready to go. I want to have sex. I'm probably going to initiate. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to let my partner know that I'm in the mood. That is like spontaneous desire where the mental desire kicks in first and then you engage in something where like your body becomes aroused. Yeah. Yeah. Responsive desire is when it's flipped. When your body is aroused and then the mental desire kicks in later. So I think people don't recognize responsive as a desire type because the responsive desire partner is not thinking about sex a lot. And so it feels like, well, I just, I'm never in the mood. I'm never thinking about it. They're probably the partner who's initiating the least because it's not in their mind. Mm. So when you're the responsive partner, you kind of have to figure out like, what can my body respond to that does arouse me that then makes me in the mood to have sex? And so when you're initiating, like as a responsive desire partner, when you're initiating, your initiation is probably not going to look the same as a spontaneous desire partner. A spontaneous desire partner is like, let's go. I'm ready to go. Let's fuck okay. now. Like essentially, right. I'm, I, I'm in the mood now in this moment. Responsive desire partner is probably not going to initiate that way because it's not going to feel authentic to them. Like, they're not going to go to their partner and be like, I'm in the mood, write this set, because they're not, right? But if you're making time to, I call it scheduled time to connect. I don't really call it scheduled sex, but I call it scheduled time to connect. And if you're, like, initiating that time, so I'm saying scheduled, scheduled or not, but if I'm, like, the, the responsive desire partner and I'm initiating, it's basically me saying, like, I, my mind is not on sex, but I feel like I could get there. Right. Yeah. There's these certain things I like done to me, certain touches that really arouse me. Do you want to touch me in that way? Or can I touch myself in that way? And then when I come to you, my body's already aroused and then we can go. Right. So initiation is going to look different. But I like to educate on that because I think people traditionally think desire is one way and you either have it or you don't. And it's yeah. not quite that simple. And also adding to that piece. I do educate on willingness versus enthusiasm, when, like regarding consent. So let's say I'm the responsive desire partner and my partner who is spontaneous comes to me and they initiate and I'm just, I'm not in the mood because I haven't been thinking about it. Yeah. But if I'm willing, let's say wherever I'm at at that point in time, I'm like, you know, I think I could get there. I'm willing. That's enough. Right. Let's figure out what's going to make my body arouse and then I, my desire can kick in. The consent does not always have to be enthusiastic, like, step one, because you have to think about what you're agreeing to, right? Like, if, if I'm not in the mood, I probably don't want to have intercourse right this second, <laughs> like, as far as, like, you know, male-female relationship goes. But maybe I'm agreeing to, like, can you help me get there? Because I'm open to that, right? I'm willing. I'm open. Okay. And the enthusiasm can, like, come later. So I always specify that piece, too, because I think a lot of partners are looking for that I want them to be just enthusiastic and ready to go. But if someone has a responsive desire, it's going to be hard for them to just get there magically. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? No, I'm seeing a lot of parallels to, like, um, whether or not you need foreplay. So it seems like the spontaneous person is someone who, you know, they're they're ready, you know, it just – it. 
it happened. They see their partner. They're aroused. Let's go. This is great. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. No need for foreplay. I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah. Whereas um, the responsive uh, desire, it seems like, is someone who, um, I mean, yeah, sex wasn't on their mind immediately. So I need a little warm up. You know, maybe we need to start mm-hmm. with a massage. And now that I've had a massage, now I'm feeling I'm feeling a little more aroused. Everything, I, my body feels good now. I'm relaxed or whatever, whatever your foreplay or whatever the uh, mm-hmm. uh, sense. But yeah, we're a different, pretty much taking them to that mindset, to that place, that that um, that space of feeling good, feeling pleasure is what causes the arousal versus just being a light switch. Yes, right? so. absolutely. And I okay. think that's, I think that's why there's that stereotype that like women. They need their mo- their motors warmed up and yep, like yep. all this, you know. It's like oh, they take longer to get going. No, you gotta you gotta you gotta preheat the oven before you stick in the turkey. <laughs> Happy <Yes>. Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, right? So it, it's, like, it's like that kind of um, stereotype. I think women tend to fall more in that responsive category. Yep, okay. But men do as well, and it's also fluid, right? It's not like. You're either one or the other, and that's it. Some people can be spontaneous sometimes. They can be more responsive at other times in their life. Like, I just think it's fluid. So it's just something to be aware of that if, you know, if it's ever – if someone ever simplifies it, like, my partner just never has desire, I don't necessarily think that's always true, Hmm. right? Because they do. It's just they're going to get there differently than a spontaneous partner I like that you said fluid because I even saw myself in those roles but in different times of the day. So I'm much more spontaneous whenever the day is happening and, you know, the morning has started and there and let's, you know, morning sex for me is one of the better times to have sex. Mm -hmm. But if you catch me at night, I'm getting old, guys. If you catch me at night, if it's past 10 p.m., which it used to be when I was younger, that would be the prime sex time. Mm Now that I'm in my 30s, it's this. Now it's time for PJs and and Netflix. Yeah, so. same, same. If it gets too late in the day, it's like the ship has sailed. Sorry, right. I'm yeah. tired. <laughs> yes. I have to be up at 6 a.m. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So education, big tip right there. Just just educate yourself if there's something, some misinformation that is making you anxious. Okay. Okay. Um. The next tip that I have is communicating with your partner, and. Open and honest communication with them is crucial and sharing your feelings and concerns, discussing your desire, your desires, your boundaries, what your anxieties are. Um, basically, just creating this very emotionally safe and supportive environment with your partner can lower a lot of anxiety in and of itself. Um, and let me give, I'm going to give an example of what is not helpful and how communication can be harmful so so really honestly this tip is effective communication okay partners can communicate but they can be really shitty at it yes and it does not (laughs) it it actually ends up making it worse and a way to make it worse is um like i think when you do communicate you have to come at it from a like assumed positive intent lens like if i like you know, if I'm t- if, like, if we're together and I'm talking about our sex life, if I go to you and I say, um, you know, we never have sex anymore. You don't want me. You don't care about this issue. I'm all alone in this. You haven't even tried to initiate. You never, it's never on your mind. You're not attracted to me. Like if you go into it with that kind of like mindset, let's say if, if you think like sex is not happening enough or hasn't happened in a while, 
what you're going to get is probably defensiveness or your partner shutting down. Then your partner is feeling pressure like, oh, if we don't have sex, my partner's going to get mad at me. So I need to have sex to prevent them from getting mad at me. But if I need to have sex, that doesn't feel authentic to me. It feels like something I am obligated to do to spare this like argument. Yeah, is this unnecessary pressure. Yeah, yeah and pressure sure, yeah. is the opposite of desire. Like, if you're trying to get to a place where we both have desire, you're never going to get it from a conversation like that. Mm. I can promise you it never works because pressure, all it does is lower desire. Totally, right? And so that's an example of, like, you don't want to do that, right? Versus, hey, can we talk about this? I know it's really sensitive, and I'm just feeling sad that we haven't had – we haven't had sex in a month, you know? Are you okay? Am I okay? Are we okay? Right? What do you think's going on there? Can I tell you why I miss it so much and why this feels like such an important part of our relationship? Like, if you go into it with this element of, like, togetherness, is you're giving it a chance to go much better than I am against you. Yeah, no, I'm on the receiving you. end, it makes me that second way to say yeah. it. It makes me want to, oh, well, I mean, let's. Yeah, it makes me want to work it out. Yeah, because I'm not mad at you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just sad or maybe I'm confused. Maybe I don't know why you haven't been interested lately. Like, what is going on there? And so if there's a way to talk about it where you can get through it effectively. But, of course, in my office I usually see it go the other way where it's like we're not just talking about sex. We're talking about, like, ineffective communication. Okay. Something I will share with our listeners is um, – there is a list of sexual conversation starters that I'll use with couples, and it's like Ooh. 125 questions. Like, it's like a pretty good list of questions. Um, I'll share it because whenever we talk about communication, about, like, our desires and anxieties and, like, what we want or don't want, boundaries and all that, it can get really hard to know where to even start with those conversations. So I have a list of conversation starters that you can, like – Pick some questions in there and get the conversation going with your partner. That's in- mm-hmm. uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. I'll share that with everyone. Okay. Okay, so third tip is expand your solo sexuality or masturbate. And I'm going to get a, give a little bit of background information here of, um, of Betty Dotson. Do you know who Betty Dotson is? No. Um, she was a sex educator and also... Uh, trained as an artist and exhibited erotic art in New York City and really was a pioneer of like the pro-sex feminist movement and um, big proponent of the clitoris being the main sex organ for for females and not the vagina yeah so I think like women vagina that's what we hear a lot like that's kind of the focus for her the main sex organ was the clitoris and she's absolutely right like that is where the biggest pleasure point is and clitoral stimulation is the primary way that women do have an orgasm so she was really big on that um and so i'm gonna give a little bit of info on her but the reason i'm saying this as a tip to lower sexual anxiety is because If you're trying to figure out your own sexuality with a partner, having someone there, that in and of itself can be really anxiety-inducing. Like if you're kind of confused or maybe like embarrassed about what you like or or you feel like the spotlight is on you and there's a partner there and that makes you not want to like enter coupled sex. Um, Sometimes when when someone is ever uncertain of, well, what do I like and how do I get comfortable with sex, have sex with yourself. 
right, is, is like a big tip that I have. And people can feel weird about that. I mean, there is like, I, I think even for women, it's like, well, women, women just don't masturbate like men do. Yeah. And I'm like, but they do masturbate just as much and they should be able to. So They should be able to, but there's mm-hmm. also a lot of cultural stim- stigma from. Totally. Yeah, even from my Hispanic community, there's that's not something women are supposed to do ever yeah yeah so there so that's you know if there's a lot of like mental blocks getting in the way of you doing that go go through that work but but masturbate um but back to you know back to betty dodson and this and the reason i'm sharing about betty dodson is because another resource that i'll share with listeners is um betty dodson has like her own way of masturbating and she has an article that she wrote about like how to masturbate for the first time or how to have an orgasm by yourself for the first time. And she uses the magic wand and she uses it like a specific way and has like tips of what mental space and what to think of and using your imagination because in the seventies and up until she passed away a couple of years ago, um, she organized what was called body sex workshops. And so body sex workshops, I mean, essentially helped women orgasm by themselves and with a partner. So wow. she was really like, her education was really about that. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So really, really cool stuff. Um, and yeah. And so she will again. We'll share that article of how to masturbate, mm, and do. you can read that and see what you think of it. If you've, That's if awesome. You've never masturbated before. Okay. Yeah. So moving on to tip number four, which is uh, mindfulness and relaxation techniques. And so during sex, if you're able to incorporate. Um, Mindfulness just be means being like present in the moment. Okay, so really being grounded in what I'm doing right now. What do I feel right now? What sensations am I am I experiencing? If you can focus on just the here and now and the present, that can be a great way to reduce anxiety. Um, and you can also like try to practice breathing techniques. Like if you start feeling anxious, can you focus on your breathing and just trying to help your mind calm itself, right? especially when you're in the act of sex. Now, something that I do teach clients is a technique called sensate focus. Have I ever, have I ever talked to you about sensate focus? Mm-mm, I don't think so. It's, I feel like that could be its own episode. So okay. I'm not going to go into details because it's very, it's very detailed and there's a lot to it. But Masters and Johnson back in the 60s, I think, um, made this technique. And it's like an intimate touching exercise that you do with your partner at home and it goes in phases like phase one is it's first of all it's not sex okay because again sensei focus it's touching exercises with the purpose of lowering anxiety over time so it removes the expectation of sex if we enter this exercise we're not going to have sex after right and so that for a lot of people with anxiety that alone can help lift a lot of the pressure that they feel interesting if i agree to do this i know that there's no expectation of me after and it focus you're coming into it with like through a self-interest lens and so when i'm touching or being touched and partners will take turns when i'm touching or being touched i'm not doing it to create arousal i'm not doing it to please my partner i'm doing it just to see what i experience what do i feel when i'm touching what do i feel when i'm being touched and it'll focus on pressure, texture, and temperature both ways. So it gives you something tangible to focus on. If you've got mental distractions, you're feeling anxious, bring the focus back to those three things, and that's all you're doing. You're just gathering data, 
You're seeing what you feel. Can you get back in touch with your body? There's no expectation. I'm not trying to create arousal. I'm not trying to stop arousal. If I get aroused, it's fine. I'm not doing anything with it. And it's in phases, right? So if they get through phase one, which is like non-genital, non-sexual touch. So stomach, back, legs, those things are fine. If they both get through that phase of it and, and start to really like their mental attractions lower a lot, they can go into the next phase, which does incorporate genital touch. And then you're just evaluating. When we incorporated that, did that make you more anxious? If it did, was I able to refocus? Was I not able to? So, yeah, that's just an example. Again, it could be a whole episode, but it is wow, like, it yeah. is an exercise that I'll give couples to do every few days. It seems like it, it could, like, pretty much – it's like training your mind almost yeah. to, like, focus on what's happening. Like, focus on being mindful because a lot of people don't understand what mindfulness is in general. So, I mean, that's – Wow. Yeah, yeah. And mindfulness, like something to point out too, I think where people get confused is some people think like mindfulness or meditation, it means that you have like no thoughts. Like I was able to remove all of my distractions and I was totally calm and I was able to, that's not really what it is. Like you're still going to have thoughts and distractions or whatever, but you're just trying to get to a point where the thoughts are passing by. They're not distracting you. You can still focus on the present here and now. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of the point. So you don't have to have an empty mind. You just have to be able to go, like, that thought is there, but pressure, texture, temperature, you know, here's what we're focusing on. So that, like, is a really good exercise I'll give, especially with partners that are anxious. I like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Wow. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the last one. Um, uh, the last tip I have is, like, gradual exposure. And so if certain sexual activities trigger anxiety, consider a gradual approach. And just kind of like taking small steps to explore, to engage in other sexual activities, um, allowing yourself to be more comfortable over time. And like as an example, let's say um, someone with a vagina is really worried about vaginal pain. Um, And maybe they don't have a lot of sexual experience. Maybe it hurt one time and they're afraid it'll happen again and that's causing them to be really anxious. Gradual steps would be like you start off with no intercourse and then maybe there's like fingering down the road to see how that feels, right? And then if that doesn't hurt, maybe intercourse is after that. Like you're just kind of gradually approaching this thing that's giving you anxiety because you're creating comfort in all these other things that you could be doing, right? Okay. And there is... Um, kind of like another, another technique I go over with clients, but um, it's called upshifting and downshifting. And so you're just deciding, like if something is initiated, right? Hey, I want to give you oral sex. Um, upshifting would be like, maybe you agree to that, but you're like, but I want to go quote unquote higher stakes, for lack of a better term. Sure, like, oral sex is fine, but I do want to have intercourse after. Like, I want to upshift, right? Downshifting is, like, I'm not really comfortable with oral sex, but maybe we can, like, we can do something that has lower stakes. Maybe I just want to make out right now. Maybe I I don't even want to have my clothes off at all. Okay. So I call it upshifting and downshifting because then it doesn't have to be, like, a hard no, but it's, like, not that, but maybe this. Mm, Right? You can go. You can go either way with it. So those are my my five tips to lowering sexual anxiety and 
in quick summary. <laughs> no, no, I like that. Those are really good, mm-hmm. good five tips. Um, just before we close out, I do want to just point something out that whenever I was doing research, I did find a lot of research for, you know, men going through sexual anxiety. Mm-hmm. I found a decent amount, not as much as men, uh, for females going through sexual anxiety, but I didn't find too much queer research at all mm-hmm. so there wasn't very much for like are my non-binaries my gender queers uh, my transgender mm-hmm. um and i just want to point out that sexual anxiety is very much apparent in the queer community mm-hmm. i would say i would say like at least on par um with men or heterosexual couples if for not sure more. if not more yeah. yeah yeah for sure because there is a there's a lot of awkward moments that you know your sex in the queer community doesn't necessarily look the same as you Mm -hmm. see on media and things like that so you have to navigate through that that can cause a lot of anxiety in general um i remember when i was younger going through um there was also a pressure um of some sort especially if i was someone's first sexual experience right there's a lot of pressure to perform you know if i'm now i'm representing the entire queer community if they don't like it then obviously they they know they don't like women because of me or you know whatever it is um when it comes to body dysmorphia we for sure get it with the uh gender queer non-binary transgender where um maybe you're going through a transition or maybe you haven't but you're presenting differently than what your body is showing just that can cause an insane amount mm-hmm. of sexual anxiety and yeah just as even even uh introducing things so i remember the first time that i introduced a strap on um and it was it was shown to me for the first time in the media but i remember it was very uh it was very fun to look for one we went to the store it was it was a it was it was a good experience as far as that went but when it came time to it and i was in the bathroom and i put it on and i was fumbling with the buckles and the and the velcro and whatever you know the many different um ways to um to use a strap on very many different harnesses that's always awkward that first time it's very mm-hmm. awkward and um i remember feeling very it almost felt wrong i was like this this, this is this why is this is this the only way that she's gonna want it after this like is yeah. am i not gonna be good enough like there's, there's a lot of these uh, fears and insecurities that come through with it for the queer community so i just wanted to point that out that we did talk a lot about males and females and heterosexual pretty much is is what we saw a lot of research for. But us queers, for sure, go through a lot of sexual anxiety just in a, a different way. Yeah, I think the queer community is definitely underrepresented in the research. I think like I think it's getting better as each year goes by, but research is still definitely very heteronormative as yeah. a whole. <laughs> um and, you know, now that you you mentioned that, like, I think about um, some trans clients I've had. I mean, there's definitely this – it can feel like who they are is not congruent with what their body looks like, yes. right? Like, you have a trans woman that still has the body of a male, right? Yeah. Um that can be it can be really disjointed mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And so when you are engaging in sex, it it can be a lot to figure out, like – who am I in this context and what does that mean for me? And that can also be just nervousness around your partner seeing you naked for the first time, right? It's just, it's just a, it's a unique experience that I don't think we talk about enough, right? And so I'm glad that you mentioned that because that can be anxiety inducing in and of itself. For sure. Okay. But yeah, um, but yeah, I loved your tips. I thought your tips were great. So just to give it a quick short off the top go ahead and say the five tips quickly uh, as well yeah the five tips are education 
communicating with your partner effectively, yep. um, expanding your solo sexuality, a.k.a. masturbating, yes. uh, learning mindfulness and relaxation techniques, and lastly, gradual exposure. I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Some good tips, guys. That's from an expert. It's from someone who this is literally her job that she does every week, um, many, many hours every week. So mm-hmm. uh, I hope we helped you out. All right. Great. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Definitely like and subscribe. Comment what you thought about this. If you found any of this helpful or if you've ever experienced sexual anxiety, what have you done for that? Like yeah. maybe there's something you've done that you found was helpful that we didn't put on this list that maybe we can include for a future episode. So let us know what you think. Yeah, throw throw it in the comments. Yeah, personally. for sure. That way, if if anyone sees it, they see the five tips that we're going to give. But if you guys have tips, throw it in the comments so that way other people who are going to find this video can see what worked for you. Absolutely. All right. Well, again, thanks for tuning in. We are Sex Positivity Unfiltered. And remember to stay curious and fuck politeness.